so I just want to start out by saying that we serve a great big God, and the fact that I'm standing here tonight is testimony of that. Um, I just this week I've been I've been thinking because this is this is like my first time like to preach in big church, right? <laughs> I get to I get to preach in big church. That's what we call it over in the in the youth. We, this is big church. So tonight I get to preach in, in big church. And you know I just I've been thinking uh, this past week just about um, the goodness and the faithfulness of God. Uh, you know when I when I came to this church, it's it's been about eleven and a half years when I showed up on scene here, and I was lost and separated from God, and just my life was just a mess. And, uh, you know, and I, I had good intentions. My, you know, they were totally not spiritual when I showed up here. Uh, you know, I was, I came on scene to, um, to make my wife happy. And she's not here tonight, so I can tell all kind of wife stories, right? So I showed up on scene, and not because I thought God was going to make my marriage better. I just thought if I came to church, because she had always come to church. She had always brought the kids to church. She was always involved in church. She had, had a relationship with the Lord, which was completely foreign to me. I just didn't get it. Um, so I thought that, you know, me coming to church would just get her off my back, basically. I mean, that was, that was the truth of it. It wasn't like I thought, you know, I needed God or I needed something more than what I had. I just, I just wanted to, you know, maybe this, because our marriage was a mess and and to say the mess would, would be an understatement. So we showed up on scene here and I, I picked this church for several reasons. I picked the church. Okay. So I picked this church for several reasons. This was before the sanctuary was here. We were in the East sanctuary. Um, but it still was a big church because my wife had always gone to, uh, smaller churches, little country churches. And so this was kind of a step up. And so really the main reason is because this was a big church, right? And I just felt like, you know, I could get lost in the crowd here. Like, so if we didn't show up on a Sunday, yeah, that's funny. Because I'm thinking, as all week long as I'm thinking, how seriously, I thought, you know, if I, we didn't show up on a Sunday morning, like nobody's going to notice because it's a big church. And it would be kind of obvious if I didn't show up tonight, you know? And so that's the God that we serve. Like, like I went from coming here because... I thought I could get lost in the crowd and I wasn't searching for him. He was searching for me. And it's just been a process and a journey, uh, which has been really, really neat. Um, I think I didn't think I, I knew when God called me in the ministry, I had a feeling that, you know, I would someday get the opportunity to, to stand here. Uh, I didn't know when that was or what it would look like. Ever since Rod came on staff, he's really been just bugging me about like every time it turns around, it's like you. You're going to preach? When are you going to preach? You know, Brian can preach. You know, you, you, you're going to preach. And he's always on Tony. And Tony would blow him off, blow him off, blow him off. Well, he came in my office. Um, this was last month. And he came to me and he says, uh, he says, so Tony's going to be gone a few times during October. I'm preaching through Sunday nights. If you want to preach a Sunday night, just let me know. And I'm like, okay. You know, had zero intentions of, of preaching. Absolutely zero intentions. And then God began to work out circumstances that were just and, and slowly he got me in a place. God cornered me in a place. He had my he, he had his thumb on me, he cornered me in a in a place where I was like, OK, I'm, I'm legitimately going to consider this God. Right. And then um, I just began to pray and I can remember praying and uh, I was like, God, I don't even like I can't just get up there. What am I supposed to like? I don't. What do you want me to say? And immediately uh, this text came to me. So I, you know, as I stand before you and as Rod preached this morning and the songs that we sang tonight, I think that you'll begin to see, like, I have confidence in the God that we serve 
and um, he's just he's just good. Plus, I get to wear a T-shirt. Like, how cool is that? Like, maybe we'll start a trend or something. I don't know. Um, so, we're going to be in Philippians. So, if you have your Bible, you can go ahead and, and flip open your your Bible to Philippians four. It's going to be on page thirteen fifty one. I think this. I don't think I know this passage is going to be relevant to every single person in this room. And it doesn't matter what season of life you find yourself in, whether you're young, whether you're old, whether you've been a Christian for 30 years or whether you've been a Christian for six months. And, you know, in whatever in whatever season of life you find yourself in, I mean, because here's the thing. We're all going to I just as we were singing, blessed be your name. And I thought about Job and we're going to spend some time talking about Job tonight. Like every single person in this room is has experienced and will experience difficult times in their life. The suffering is going to come. It's going to come to me. It's going to come to you. Like, it just is. And so we find ourselves uh, throughout our lives just in these difficult times. And I just want us to, I just want us to know, I, want to, I think God wants to communicate to, to us tonight that it's possible to suffer well. Like, that's possible. As crazy as that sounds, that, that we can suffer with a purpose. And see, when we, when we keep our focus on the things that God would have us to, then everything, like, we can keep, our focus is, we tend to, what we tend to do is whenever we're in a difficult season, whenever things aren't going right, whenever, we tend to be consumed with whatever that thing is, right? And we get so consumed with our circumstances or our situation that we lose sight of the big picture. And so when Paul writes this book, you know, one of the beautiful things about this is, it's not like we got some guy standing up here. This is Paul who pens this book as he's sitting in prison. And in chapter 1, he says, it's actually, it was actually good that I was thrown in jail. Like, it's good that I'm in jail. And so Paul understands probably more than anybody in this room what it means to suffer. Yet he talks about suffering with a purpose. He's like, Man, it's worked out because here's, here's what he understands. He understands the big picture. He understands the big picture and he says, me being here has advanced the gospel. And so here's what we've got to focus on as believers. We've got to focus on the gospel going forward. We've got to focus on building his kingdom. That's what it's about. Everything that comes into our life passes through the hand of God. And sometimes they're difficult. And I don't want to minimize any suffering that's going on in here tonight. I don't want to minimize any suffering that you've been through or that you'll go through. But I just want us to know that, that it's, possible, uh, it's possible to suffer well, suffer well. So the overwhelming theme of Philippians is joy. And joy, um, you know, the world that we live in, the, they, the world screams out that, uh, you know, you find happiness or peace or joy in uh, all the wrong things. And that's why this world's such a mess. And so if you marry this guy or you marry this girl or you get this job, if you get the promotion, you buy our stuff, you drive this car, if you get this, that, and you know, so, so the world is constantly shoving things down through. And then what happens is, is we get those things, right? And just like, just like Rod was saying this morning, like, what's the king of your life? Who's the king of your life? And so we place this thing or this object or this job or this promotion or this person, and we place it on the throne of our life and then we get there and there's still no peace. And so what we're going to talk about tonight is this peace of God that surpasses all understanding. But how in the world do we get there? How do we get there? It just seems, it just seems so impossible. But here's the thing. 
It's, it's the peace of God. So first and foremost, just as Rod said this morning, it comes through God. This peace is only available to those who belong to Him, who have a relationship with Him. But, you know, for the believer, sometimes we just we get off track and we lose our focus and we begin to drift from this peace that God makes available to you and to me. So in Philippians chapter 4, we'll start reading in first, uh, verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonable, reasonableness... That's just hard to say. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. And uh, Lord, we, we need to hear from you tonight. We need to know that there's uh, a peace that passes all understanding. God, when, when, seems, when things around us just seem um, so crazy. So Lord, we come before you tonight. We humble ourselves before your word. And we just ask that you'd speak to us. Take control of my mouth, Lord. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. That you would do a great thing in Christ's name. Amen. So here's, here's what we find in, in verse 6 as we look. It says, do not be anxious about anything. Now we read that and we skip over it and we think, okay, well, the Bible tells us in several different places, it says don't be anxious for anything. Don't worry. But we do. I mean, we do. Why, why do we find ourselves so anxious? I was just thinking today as I was getting ready, I was thinking, you know, it's election year. The election's right around the corner. It's just a few weeks away. And um, like people are so wound up. And it's so easy to get so caught up in the fact that um, what if he gets elected or what if he gets elected and the, the country's going to fall to pieces. And ultimately, here's the deal. Yes, it's okay to be concerned with that. Yes, we should vote our convictions. Yes, we should be a part of it. Yes, we should have an opinion. But everything, everything passes through the hand of God. And whoever gets elected, that is passed through the hands of God. And we get so wound up with things. And we get, you know, we get so worried about, you know, am, am I going um, to get this job? Am I going to get, you know, and, and we, everything, we just tend to worry. We worry about our families. We worry about our finances. We worry about um, things out of our control. We worry about things before they ever happen. Like half the time we worry about things. If we would just wait, if we just say, okay, look. I'm going to hang tight and I'm going to worry about that after it happens. No, we worry about things that like before they ever happen. And so the Bible says, he says, do not be anxious about anything. Don't worry, but we do. And so um, it's the problem is, is we get things out of focus. We forget that God is sovereign. We forget these things. We forget about why we're here and we get so consumed with the things of this world that we lose sight of what's really important. And so then then he goes on. Then he goes on. And he says, uh, he says, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So he says, okay, so, so take everything to God in prayer. Take everything to God in prayer. But what happens is when we lose our focus, 
we begin to pray incorrectly. And really tonight is about correct thinking, about who God is. Really, and once we wrap our mind around that, I just want us to, to, to really just wrap our mind about the nature of the God that we serve. And that's really what we're going to talk about. But I pray, you know, in, as he goes on, he, he doesn't say, he doesn't say, pray, and whatever you pray is what you'll get. He doesn't say, pray, and you'll get what you ask for. He says, let your prayers be known to God, your supplications. And then he says, and the peace of God, which passes all understanding. The peace. Peace comes with right thinking, right praying, right living. We go back up to, to verse 4 and we kind of uh, get this thing started. The Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Now, remember, when Paul writes this, he's writing from jail. And he says, rejoice in the Lord always. Now, I don't know about you, but I have a problem with one word in that whole deal. Am I the only one? Is there one word that just bugs y'all? Always. I see a whole lot of mouths moving. Always. Not, not when the sun's shining and it's 75 degrees outside. Not when your kids listen actually listen to what you say. Not when they bring home straight A's on their report card. Not when you get the promotion. Not when you get to retirement. Not when you get the raise. Not when you things go your way. Not when, you know, everything is just always. Now, how in the world do we do that? I was... I was thinking, when I worked at the fire department, you know, one of the things when, when we're at the fire station, you hear all the radio traffic for the entire city. And so any call that goes out throughout the city, you hear everything that comes in. So like when you hear a bad wreck or something come in, immediately you constantly like go, okay, well, where's my family at this point in time? All right. And then if you think, well, they may be in the general vicinity and you make be pick up the phone and, and like if they don't answer, then all of a sudden you're in panic mode. You're trying to figure out, you know, what. And, and then finally, you know, you get the call back and you're like, okay, I can relax. But see, we're anxious. We worry. Let's think about a situation that happened. Uh, it was uh, an evening. We were at the fire station. It was a group of guys. We're all just sitting around and uh, we're watching a movie. And so we're watching this movie. The movie's over with. And uh, just as the credits start to roll to the movie, uh, a good friend of mine was sitting next to me, and his phone rings. And when he answers his phone, I can hear just this panic on the other end of the line. And it was his wife. And she's screaming, the baby's not breathing. The baby's not breathing. Now... They just had a baby. He's like two months old. And she's not breathing. And here he is at the fire station downtown. And his wife and his child are all the way up just off the O'Neill Road. And in that moment, he says, start CPR. I'm calling 911. So he immediately leaves. Okay? And so he gets in the, in not the big fire truck, like a, a small truck. And he starts heading. Well, he calls dispatch and he lets them know what's going on. And, and I can remember when it was Engine 8 that, that responded to that call. And I can remember, I mean, I, I remember everything about it. I can remember when, when Sonny, Sonny Farrell was driving the fire truck. And I can remember him saying, Engine 8's responding. And, you know, whenever there's a child involved, we're always trying to get more information so that we, you know, can be thinking about how we're going to, uh, you know, how we're going to deal with the situation when we get there. So Sonny says we're, he's in service, you know, and headed that way. And Holden is already in the pickup truck. And I can remember him like it just as clear as day. Him say, Sonny, y'all 
hurry up. That's my baby girl. Now, how do we rejoice in a moment like that? Like, how is that possible? Because Paul says, rejoice always. And then, and then he continues and he says, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now, how in the world is there any reasonableness in that moment? Now, I'm going to tell you all this because I don't want you all to... Then you're not going to listen to me the rest of the time. Like, she was fine. She's a beautiful baby girl. Um, she's grown up to be uh, just a beautiful young lady. And um, she started breathing again. And they got on scene. And, and Holden didn't kill anybody on driving about 1,000 miles an hour up Highway 49. Um, but it doesn't change the fact that in that moment, in that moment, God says to rejoice. And so I don't know about you, but I need help with that. Like, I need to figure that out. Because here's what I know. Here's what I know. Now, I don't... Maybe, you, maybe you'll never experience that. Maybe you'll never experience that. Maybe it's to um, some... Maybe it's less dramatic for you. Or maybe you will. Or maybe it'll be worse. You know, I don't know. And that's, that's the thing. Like, we have to... We have, to, we have to figure it out because there's going to come a day when you're going to get the phone call. You get the phone call of the news that you never thought you would get, right? You go in and sit down with the doctor and you get the news that you just like, you didn't want to hear. Or maybe you sit down with a family member and you get the, the news or maybe it's a husband or maybe it's a wife or maybe it's the, you know, I don't know, but in those moments... And maybe you don't even have to, maybe it's nothing big. Maybe you just have to go home. You're in a season of life where life is hard. And every time you walk through the door, or maybe every time you, you hit the doors at work, there's just this unbelievable, unbelievable, just difficult situation. And I don't have to draw a picture or explain anything to you. You know you're living it, or you've lived it, or it's coming. And so how do we... How do we rejoice? How do we do that? What does that look like? I think the key is found, found in these next few words. Because the next few words say the Lord, is, the Lord is at hand. You see, our reasonableness, our joy is not based on our circumstances. It's not based on our circumstances. It's based on the fact that God is near. And that's what, that's what Paul says here. He says, I, I know in that moment, in whatever it is that God feels like He's, it seems like He's a million miles away, but what the Bible tells us is that He's right there with us, that He is near, that He is at hand. And so, so often what we do is we look at our circumstances and we, we get so... And here's, here's another... Like we, when we focus all our attention and our thoughts and our affections, just as Rod was saying, when we, we give our affections and our thoughts... And our time and our meditations, when we give to that thing, it just grows. And it just grows. And it just grows. And it just grows. And God continues to get more and more and more distant. And so we're focused on the wrong thing. So the Lord is at hand. Basically, it's, it's based on that truth. It's not on how we feel that we might find reasonableness, that we might find peace. 
the fact that the Lord is near is not so far away. But we begin to ask questions. When we're focused on the wrong thing, we begin to ask wrong questions. We, we begin to cry out, God, where are you? God, where are you? Like, how could you, how could you let this happen? I mean, I've been doing everything you asked me to do, and I love you, I do. And I mean, I did the right thing, and I'm still suffering because of it. Paul was focused on the bigger picture. Paul understood that the reason why he existed on this planet is for God's glory. And every opportunity that Paul faced was an opportunity to bring glory to God. The good, the bad, wherever we find ourselves today, whether it's a great season or a very difficult season, it was a blessing, it's a gift, it's an opportunity to bring glory to God. That's why you were placed on this planet. You exist to glorify God. And so what I want us to do tonight is I want us to wrap our mind around, um, around who God is. That we, we would think correctly about who God is. That then we would love Him correctly. Uh, on our 16th, my wife and I's 16th anniversary, when I told this story to the students, I told them it was the 17th anniversary. So, but here's what I, you have to understand, because that kind of got me in trouble. Is I know how long we've been married. That's the important thing, right? Okay, so my wife and I have been married 18 years. I got that, but I told the story a little wrong. But on our 16th anniversary, I thought it'd be a great idea if I just like thought of 16 reasons. Well, I didn't have to think. I just would send her 16 reasons why I love my wife. And so I did that. But I, I didn't just like write them down and send it to her or put, give it to her card. So I just thought, well, what I'll do is I will text my wife all day long. Right. And so and guys, you can use this if you want, but you're going to lose originality points because your wife's going to go back and say, well, Brian said that unless you're just really creative about all the reasons that you love your wife, then you'll be OK. But so I, so about every 30, 45 minutes, I would just send my wife a text. And some of them were um, corny. They're just little inside jokes that we have. Some of them were mushy. Right. Some of them. Um, we're just, it was just a lot of fun. And so my wife found herself at school, like going, like she kept her phone out all day and she kept going back to her phone to check and see if I had texted her, you know, all the way up until the end, you know, to the 16th thing that I love about my wife. Now, what if my first text to my wife, and those of you who don't know my wife, then you're not going to get this. But what if my first text to my wife said, the thing I love most about you is your black hair. And your blue eyes. Is that possible? Can you have black hair and blue eyes? Yeah? No? I don't know. Okay. So I love your black hair. And I love your, and I love your blue eyes. And then I waited 30 minutes. And I, and I text my wife and I said, And you know, I love, um, I love how you're so serious and you never smile. And I love, you know, 30 minutes later, I love how laid back you are and quiet and calm. Huh? And, and I just and it just I just kept going and kept going. Now, one thing I know at some point she's going to throw her phone down or she's going to throw it at me when she sees me. And she's going to say, OK, now you're just being a jerk. OK, but even if what if the motivations of my heart were true? Like, what if I really I love my wife, but I'm saying these things that aren't true. And so here's what I want us to understand. tonight: like, it's not enough just to love God. We need to love him correctly. We need to love him for who he is. We need to think correctly and rightly. And that's going to move us to deal with the circumstances and situations that He brings into our life. And so, just as I have to uh, have the right 
not, not just the right intentions is to love my wife. Like I have to love her for the right things, for who she is. And so that's so important as we move forward. So um, I'm going to read to you a couple passages. Beginning uh, in Romans 11, 33 through 36. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable are His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? From Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be glory forever. Amen. And so here's what we have to understand as we begin. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. Like we can't, we can't comprehend God. That's where we have to start. We can't comprehend God. Like He is so infinitely wisdom beyond, beyond anything that we can comprehend. That's the first thing we have to understand. We can't even begin to wrap our minds around Him. We can't. And so I just started thinking of like, He knows everything. He knows the, the height of the tallest mountain on planet Earth. He knows the exact depth of the deepest ocean. He knows everything in between. I think of uh, me and Suzanne love watching Frozen Planet. I don't know if you ever watched that. Sometimes I just watch that and I'm like, God did that. Like He spoke that into existence. And He knows everything about it. And it's just unbelievable. Like, sometimes I sit and watch the sunrise and I'm like, really? Really? He knows everything about it. But here's the thing too. Like, we look at the big picture and we look at how the... He, the Bible tells us that He holds all things together. Like, everything holds together because He's holding it together. And we look at the big picture, we look at the world and the exact distances that the sun is away from us and the moon and this orbit and the, like all of the gravity. Like I can't even, like I can't wrap my mind around that. But just as involved as he is in holding all that together, he's just as involved in holding us together. He's just as involved in holding us together. So um, in Colossians uh, 117, that's what he says. He says that he holds all things together. In Psalm 139, I just, I think this is just a, the whole psalm I love. But in verse 16, it says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. There were none of them. What we have to understand, our problem is, this is our big problem. We're constrained by time. That's our problem. Like we, time. And so what we do is we focus on what's right in front of us. And I love in Ephesians 2.10 where God calls us His masterpiece. He calls us His workmanship. You see, He's not constrained by time. He stands outside of time and He reigns sovereignly over everything. And so when He looks at you and He looks at me, He doesn't just see what we're going through right now. He sees the finished picture. He's creating this unbelievable masterpiece that we can't even begin to imagine. And He sees it from beginning to end. He sees everything in between. He sees how all the pieces of the puzzle, how they fit together. And how this right now is going to affect your future. And how this is going to have an impact in somebody else's life. And they're going to come to Christ because of this. And, and, and we get so consumed in what's right in front of us. And it's hard. It's difficult. Because what we're facing is hard and it's difficult. But God's saying no. You see, 
I'm doing something great in you. And what I need for you to do is I need you to trust me because my knowledge is unsearchable. Like you can't even begin to understand my mind. And as he continued on, he says, you know, he says, everything's his. For from him and through him and to him are all things. Everything belongs to God. Everything's his and he reigns sovereignly. And so if you're his child, this is, this is, this can be comforting, but if we're thinking wrong about who he is, then, then it can bother us. But if your child, there's nothing that comes, if you're his child, there's nothing that comes into your life that hasn't first passed through his hand. And that he said, I'm going to allow this because I want to do something great in you. I want to do something great through you. But see, if we're thinking incorrectly, then we can begin to ask questions. Why? I mean, that's what we want to know so often is why, right? I think Job, as I said, we'll talk a little bit about Job. I think Job was kind of on both ends of this. Like, I think there were times when he just really struggled. You know, at the beginning of Job's story, when everything was kind of taken away from him, he did say, he did say, blessed be the name of the Lord. You give and take away. But then there came a point where he was just he was just struggling. Let's just be honest. I mean, everything he had, everything that was dear to him was taken from him. His family, his possessions. And then once everything is pulled away from him, then it's like, okay, well, that's not enough. Physical sickness, right? Sores from head to toe. Now, how do you deal with that? Day in and day out. Day in and day out. Every day you wake up, you're reminded. Everything and everybody I once loved is gone and here I am. And he even asked the question, he's like, why was I even born? Why was I born? If this, is, if this is going to be my existence, then why was I even born? And I don't know if you've ever felt like that before. But Job did. Job did. And so he asked the question, why was I even born? And so then he began to ask questions. Like he just, he just really wanted an explanation from God. Like, okay, God, I can, I think, you know, maybe we come to this place like, okay, I can deal with this if you just let me know what the deal is. Like, how long is this going to last? You know, one of the things, like, we're in the middle of something. If I just knew how long this was going to last, then I think I could do it. Okay, I just buckle up and dig in and we'll get there. Right? So he's got these questions and Job's, and they're legitimate questions. I mean, he's just struggling. And so I just want us to, you know... I just want us to look at a few passages in Job as we understand. Now, we understand where he is and what he's gone through. And actually, he kind of, you know, it's almost as if he challenges God. If you'll just meet me face to face, if we could just talk this thing out so that I can understand. I've got some questions about this. I need, I need some understanding. And so we pick up the story in Job 38, verse 1. He says, Then the Lord answered to Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this that darkens counsel? By words without knowledge. Now, now, finally, God says, "Okay, you want answers? Let's let's talk through this." He says, "Who is this that darkens counsel by words without knowledge?" He says, "Dress for action like a man." Now, the first time I heard that, I was like, "What's that about? Like, what is that? Like, what do you mean, dress for action like a man?" Basically, God tells Job, "You need to put your big boy pants on because I'm about to put you in your place." Okay, he says, buckle up because we're about to go for a ride. He said, and that's essentially what happens. You know, it's kind of like he says, you're getting on the roller coaster and and it would be like, okay, you make sure that thing's on good because we're about to take off. And so he looks at Job and he says, all right, 
You need to dress for action like a man. We're about to do this. And so then he, he proceeds. And he says, uh, I will question you and you make it known to me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Okay, that's a tough one right there. Like, I think right off the bat, Job was probably like, I think this is probably a test that I'm going to fail. Right? And so he goes on, he says, where, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Surely you know. Or who stretched out a line upon it? Right? And I'm sure Job's thinking, well, I did stay at a Holiday Inn Express last night. Right? I mean, because like, what do you, how do you answer that? And then for two chapters, God questions him and questions him. He's like, what about the sunrise? You got anything to do with that? What about the sea? Like the measurements of the sea? Like who told them how far they should go? Were you, were you in on that? Do you, you know? And then what about the snow? You, you got that covered? What about, you know? And so like two chapters, two chapters, one after another, after another. You know, at our house, like we can't even keep a plant alive. God asked Job, he says, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? And look, I didn't create the plant. I didn't create the soil that goes that the plant goes in. I didn't create water. I didn't create any of that. I can't even keep the plant alive. All right. So God just spoke the earth into existence. He tells Job, OK, where were you then? And I've been doing all this to keep it going since then. And finally, uh, in verse chapter 40, after two chapters of this, uh, Job, Job answered to the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall, I, what shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. It's like Job's like, okay, I get it, God. Like, I get it. I'm putting my hand over my mouth and you don't have to worry about me asking any more questions. And he says, I have spoken once and I will not answer twice, but I will proceed no further. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Dress for action like a man. And at this point, I'm thinking... Really? Like you win. Like you win. Like you just got in a 10-round heavyweight fight. You got your brains beat in for 10 rounds. And you're in the corner going, thank goodness that's over. And they go, we're doing it again. And he's going, okay, all right, here we go. It's like you're on that roller coaster. And you know when you're just glad it's over and you pull into the dock and everybody's getting out. And they're like, nope, you're going again. Buckle in and off you go, right? So here we go. Here we go again. And he, he starts questioning him again. He says, dress for action like a man. I will question you and you make it known to me. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Have you an arm like God? And can you thunder with a voice like his? For two more chapters. Two more chapters over and over and over again. And finally, in, in chapter 42... Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do all things and that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Who is this that hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore, I have uttered what I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me, things which I did not know. Here and I will speak. I will question you and you make it known to me. I had heard of you by the hearing of an ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself and repent. And dust and ashes. And so Job comes to this place where he realizes that, that God is, is God. That God is God. And He's not. We're, not. we're not God. 
that he's the creator and we're the creature that we have this limited understanding and we're prone to get it wrong and he comes to this place where he says i don't have to understand god because you are too wonderful and i can't even begin to to tell you how sorry i am for even questioning that you don't have my best intentions in mind it's not like God was harsh in that. I think sometimes we might look at that and say God was harsh in that in the way that he dealt with Job. But I don't think he was. I think that's the personal nature of God. that He got very personal with Job. And God, God said to Job, he said, you're not responsible for reasoning on my ways. You're responsible for submission to my ways. You're responsible for trusting me. And Job came to a place where uh, he just trusted God and he believed that God had his best intentions in mind. And God says, look, I've got all the other stuff covered. And if I've got all the other stuff covered, then I've got you covered. And that's essentially what he's saying here. In Isaiah 55, God says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. And so we understand that. We can say, okay, I get it. Like God's... God's way bigger, way smarter, and He's doing things that we can't even begin to comprehend. But, but what does this look like? Like, what is rejoice always? What does this look like in real life? Like, how does that play out? How does that play out when we leave here and we go home and, you, and you're faced with some difficult situation? Like, what does it look like? First of all, it starts out by realizing the fact that just like, just what He says here, that the Lord is at hand, the Lord is near. And we can't base... Uh, what we think about God on our circumstances. That God doesn't change. All the different circumstances that fill this room in our lives, that doesn't change who God is. And the things that we go through does not change who God is. And so it's not like when we say rejoice always, it's not like, hey, yay, this is so great. Can we just keep this coming? Right? That's dumb. Let's just be real. That's dumb. And when somebody says, hey, you just got to do a cartwheel every time you suffer, that's dumb. Like, pain is real. Difficult times are real. Suffering is real. But there comes a place where, and you know it, when you've seen somebody in the most difficult of circumstances, and you look at them, there's just this calmness about them. And just a maturity in the way they handle the situation. And, it, and not that it's easy, and they're not like saying, yay, this is great. They're saying, I don't, I don't understand, but I know who God is, and I'm going to trust Him. So we begin to think correctly about who God is, which leads to, um, when we begin to think correctly about God, then, then that leads to correct prayer and correct thoughts and correct living, which leads to this peace that surpasses all understanding. And so we don't pray, uh, God, take it away. We pray, God, I don't understand it. I don't even know how to take the next breath. I don't know how to put one foot in front of the other. I don't know that I'll ever understand what's going on, but God, I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. And I just pray that you would, that you would use it for your glory. You are so infinitely wise beyond anything that I can comprehend. I can remember, um, I can remember praying this prayer, and this isn't an easy prayer to pray. 
And, and I, I just, I can remember praying it because that's how I started out, praying. Lord, this isn't an easy prayer to pray. And as I had tears coming down my face, uh, just being real with God. But I understand that, that this, this is where peace comes from. And it didn't make the situation any better, not at that moment in time. It was a difficult time in my life. And I can remember praying this. God, don't take it away until you're done. Don't you dare take this away until you're, until you're done accomplishing what you desire to accomplish in my heart and the hearts of the people around me that are affected by this. And that's tough to pray. That we would come to a place where we can say, God, don't take it away. Not until you're done. I don't understand it. I don't like it. This isn't fun. But I don't want to suffer for nothing. I don't want to suffer for nothing. If we're going to do this, let's do it. I want to suffer well. I want you to do a great work in me. I want you to do a great work in them. I want you to, to blow our minds. Because I trust you. So there is a possibility of of suffering well and not wasting it. In Philippians 4, 8, 9, as, as we've finished up there, you know, he, he continues on. He says, whatever's true, whatever's honorable, whatever's just, whatever's pure. You know, here's what we've got to focus our attention and our mind on, our affections on. We've got to, we've got to meditate on Scripture. We've got to meditate on truth. We've got to meditate on who God is. That's what we've got to fill our minds with. That's where we've got to give our attention that's what we've got to do. That's why he continues on there. And then in Colossians 1, uh, 13 and 14, he says, He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. He is rescued. If you're a child of God, hear this, and this will be the last thing we have. If you're a child of God, you have been rescued. You've been rescued. The Bible says here that He delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us, us into the kingdom of light. He rescued you from yourself. He rescued me from myself and transferred us into the kingdom of light. He did not rescue us to destroy us. You understand that? He didn't rescue. It's the opposite of that. So the things that come into our lives... They can't destroy us. He didn't rescue us to destroy us. He just didn't. It's the opposite of that. And I just want you to know tonight that the Lord is at hand, that the Lord is near. When He seems so far away, when everything seems like it's out of control, that God is near. That He is near. And I just want you to, to think and just imagine whatever it is that God's right there with you. That's the promise. He never said it was going to be easy. He never said that. Actually, He said the opposite. He said the opposite. He said it was going to be tough. It's going to be hard. He says, I'm with you. Now, I don't know about you, but that's comforting. That as a child of God, that we'll never suffer anything alone. That He's with us. He's with us. Let's stand and let me pray. God, thank You for who You are. Thank You that we can't even begin to comprehend You. Lord, help us when we're weak. Help us when we think incorrectly of who you are. God, I just pray that every life in here, every life in here will be lived for your glory. 
God, that we would take every opportunity that you allow to come into our lives, the good, the bad, and everything in between, that we would look at it as an opportunity to build your kingdom, that we look at it as an opportunity to bring you glory. God, that we may walk in peace, a peace that only comes through knowing you. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I'd love to pray with you if you want to come down. The altar's open. Uh, Pastor Rods uh, will be down front also. And uh, I just... I just know that there's real... I, the thing is, is that the reason I'm standing here tonight is because I knew that this was a message that God... Like, I couldn't get away from it. So I just pray that you allow God to minister to you through His Word and that you just come before Him. You just be real. He doesn't want us to put on any fake faces. He just wants us to come before Him and say, God, I don't know, but I trust You. I trust You.